Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the 268th ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the MSP studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing great, Cameron. A little bit of mixed emotions? A little bit of mixed emotions. Yeah, we're a little, uh, we're, we're coming off an announcement here, pretty, pretty fresh. A little bit of a letdown earlier. Yeah. We could just get that out of the way first. Get out of the way. Just right now. Not going to take long. Yeah, I don't think anyone wants us to dwell on this too much. Ryan Wingo picked Texas. Ugh. I'm a, I'm a little surprised. I'm a lot surprised, honestly. I was, uh, if you were watching the broadcast or whatever, watching it live or paying attention to Twitter or anything the last few hours, it's been a mess. Texas was supposedly coming on strong late. Last <laughs> night, they were trying to make moves. There was actually something to the chaos that was going on today. Well, my question, I guess, is, and maybe we maybe we never know this, but like, was how real was Ryan Wingo to Mizzou ever? Because that felt like the realest thing ever. Yeah, a week ago. Yeah, I mean, it w- it felt like every possible thing we wanted to see um in his recruitment kind of was lining up yeah and like you know he moved his recruitment up and the coaches had been you know pretty like indirectly pretty obviously like tweeting about him mm-hmm. and stuff and i don't know it he had just, been in the games yeah. offense has been doing its thing yes everything seemed good but uh yeah then right before the announcement it was like oh texas is talking about huge nil money and and i was just thinking like i was just buying the mizzou spin on all of it and creating some of it in my own head of like yeah you know you gotta really see what mizzou's best nil deal is so you gotta say that texas is coming with something good and uh you know you don't want it to be a foregone conclusion and nobody tunes into your uh, ceremony and nobody's talking about it on social media and stuff you want to kind of drum up some excitement there so i get all that no big deal yeah but it was real, and he picked Texas. I unfortunately feel like uh, Oklahoma in like Winery's commitment, just yeah. being blindsided by yeah that a little bit. But I don't know, man. It it kind of sucks. Uh, Ryan Wingo's dad was interviewed after, and in like the most annoying way possible, he was like, "You know, it's not over till signing day." Like the father of the rec- recruit who just recruited somewhere, he was kind of yeah. had a grin on his face, like yeah. With uh, Frank Cusimano, I believe, is yeah. he was doing the interview, and he's like, "It's not over till signing day." And then I'm like, "Okay, just yeah, just stop." Yeah, that please. was when. Yeah, I I didn't make it that far into the broadcast just to uh, see any of those interviews afterwards. Stop trolling us. Yeah. <laughs> Let us go on with our lives. Uh, the good news is, um, I mean, if we if I want to keep spinning this thing, Mizzou is not in a bad spot at wide receiver. You never, uh, you know, you always want to have a five-star pick your team. But, uh, you know, we got the number one defensive line recruit. Yeah, give me give me Winery 10 out of 10 times. Yeah, yeah, if I had to choose. Um, yeah, so we'll move on from that. Um, we've, got, we've got more important stuff to talk about. We are going to be talking about basketball for the first time in a while because those games are right around the corner. And they just got done with their media days and stuff like that. So there's a lot to talk about there. Obviously, we'll talk about the South Carolina game and your 7-1 and one Missouri Tigers and what 
sort of the uh, outlook looks like the rest of the way with the big Georgia game coming up. And we'll pick the SEC games. Before we do all of that, don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. Leave us a review wherever you listen to us. And you can, of course, support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Missouri Sports Pod. Shout out to our newest supporter on Patreon. The name? Producer Cam Fan. It's not me. I, I know I, it's, it's not, not you. Me. <laughs> I, I know who it is. It, it's not you. Uh, so, Producer Cam Fan, thanks for supporting on Patreon. and uh, What an honor. Wow. Yeah, maybe they need to get the this camera. Going. We need to get this camera. Your very going. own yeah. fan. We need to out test there it somewhere. out a little bit. Wow. Um, you're the only one of the three of us that like has an actual fan, an official fan that's like dedicated just to you. Probably my only one, but <laughs> I'll take it. It's one more than us. <laughs> um, yeah, you can support on Patreon, just like producer Cam fan. <laughs> Uh, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to start off with basketball, and there is a. if you're not ready for basketball, that's okay. If you're still in football mode, that's totally fine. Skip ahead to the football section. This basketball bit will be here in two weeks. It'll be here in a month when you want to come back and uh, hear about all the players. But uh, games, to take advantage of the bye week. Exactly. Take advantage of the bye week, and there's a lot of basketball uh, information out. And the game, the first game is November 6th. So it's right around the corner. And as fun as this uh, football season has been, um, you know, having the football team and the basketball team good at the same time, that could really be something. Oh, boy. Um, Basically, I'm thinking we'll just kind of talk about the players. I've got it ordered from freshmen uh, or ordered by class, starting with freshmen and then getting to the returning seniors from last year's squad. And we'll just kind of give a rundown of the roster and, um, yeah, just kind of talk about who we think are going to be the most impactful players. But uh, with any of that, you do have to talk about last year a little bit and set the table. Of course, last year was Dennis Gates' first season with Missouri. Took him to the NCAA tournament, 24-9 and regular season record. 11 and 7 in conference play. That was good for fourth in the conference. Got the double bye in the SEC tournament and uh, got us our first NCAA tournament win in 10 years. Was that was that the right number? Yeah, I think so. So obviously, I, I think exceeded everyone's expectations. Everyone outside of the basketball program, I think he exceeded our expectations. Yeah. Any thoughts on year one? Yeah, I mean, in a good way, it almost feels like Dennis Gates has been here forever. Yeah. I don't know why. Like, like just you saying, like, in his first season, yes. like, what? Yeah. feels like he's been here for, for a really long time, but in a good way because it feels like he's built something. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, man, uh, it just it was amazing what they did last year the, to see the development individually with, like, Kobe Brown and Demoy Hodge and some of those guys, and then, of course, how they just gelled as a team and did something that hasn't been done in a really long time. And so I think we were all pleasantly surprised by what we saw. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's a good point you, you made about, uh, it seems feels like he's been here a while because like it, the development of someone like Kobe Brown, it's kind of like Kobe Brown is a Dennis Gates player in my mind. If I'm looking back at, Mizzou basketball history in a couple of years, Kobe Brown is always going to be tied to 
Dennis Gates, in my mind, even though they were just together one season. Um, but, uh, yeah, I want to talk about the departures a little bit, starting with Kobe Brown. We will be missing his almost 16 points per game from last year, six rebounds, two and a half assists, and that 45% shooting from three that kind of came out of nowhere. That was one of the bigger surprises of the season. And losing Kobe uh, to the NBA draft, he was a first-rounder and um, had made the team with the Clippers. So just like the, a dream scenario for him going back to this time last year, basically. Um, he's That's just huge shoes to fill there that – you know, on any given season, who knows if you if you have a guy that can do what he did last year. And then to add to that, Demoy Hodge, another 15 points per game, two and a half steals per game, and another 40% three-point shooter, and his volume, he shot over 200 threes on the season. Those two guys right there are going to be hard to replace. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the story of this season, is just replacing those two guys. How in the world do you try to fill the production that's gone now? So that's going to be pretty fascinating. Especially scoring. Yeah. Um, DeAndre Golston uh, is no longer, or he graduated, ran out of eligibility. He had 11 points per game last year. Of course, Isaiah Mosley only appeared in 14 games last year, but he averaged 10 points per game. Uh, Trey Gomillion, some impactful minutes. And obviously, Coach Gates trusts him a lot, trusted him a lot last year in some big spots. Uh, Mohamed Diara transferred to NC State, and Ronnie DeGray transferred to Wichita State. So a lot of guys that contributed moving on that will not be back. But we add a pretty nice uh, three-man freshman class and a slew of transfers. And just looking through this list... um, it's, it's just going to be another intriguing start to the basketball season as we kind of figure out what everybody's role is. And we were talking about a little bit before we started recording, like, okay, do we have, what kind of idea do we have about where, how all these pieces fit together? And it is a little bit just up in the air. And there's, uh, we kind of decided there's, I don't know how much reason there is to really try to figure that out too much because I'm guessing there's going to be nine or 10 guys that, are getting some decent playing time early as they try to fill out or figure out what the rotations are going to be like for conference play. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can get started with the freshmen here. Um, first off, we have guard Anthony Robinson uh, from Tallahassee, Florida, 6'2", three-star player, uh, number 150 in his class. Jordan Butler from Greenville, South Carolina, seven foot four-star player, number 131 in the class, and Trent Pierce, forward from Tulsa, Oklahoma, 6'10", on the official roster on mutigers.com, four-star player, number 84 in his class, according to the 24-7 Sports Composite. Obviously, we know there's a potential signing class this year that uh, might, you know, uh, overshadow this one coming in, but... I'm pretty satisfied with this three-man freshman class coming in, especially with um, the size in Jordan Butler and the size combined with the scoring ability that we've been hearing about from Trent Pierce. 
Yeah, I think this uh, three-man class has the potential to be sneaky good for sure. And it feels like they really found a diamond in the rough potentially with Trent Pierce and just his uh, the ceiling that he has as a player and um, just the skill set he has at, at 6'10". Um, I think you're. we were looking at – we'll get to this, but – we were looking at who might start and, you know, he's 6'10", but I don't really see him, you know, starting at center necessarily because I just don't really think that's his game. Um, and you're just going to you're going to see him playing everywhere. And, you know, you know, Jordan Butler might end up being kind of like the one that I, at least I personally kind of forget about a little bit, mm-hmm. but might have the best chance to start even yeah. just based on his skill set. So there's so much up in the air for this class, like in a good way. I think there's so much... Um, that they can contribute this year yeah i mean like if you have pierce and butler at the four and five spot you know maybe not as freshmen but imagine next year or the year after assuming they're both still around um having two guys six ten or taller that are just blocking every shot anytime anybody comes into the paint and like if you have a stretch four pierce would have no trouble guarding like a stretch four on the perimeter and making their shots difficult so and with robinson um i feel like he will kind of take on more of the traditional freshman role of uh probably getting a little bit of mop-up minutes in some of the blowouts or maybe a little bit more run in a game that missouri should win and you kind of want to see what you have in some of the younger guys but i do see him um as a little bit more of a developmental guard especially considering the seniors that we have with sean east and nick honor their ability to play point guard um we shouldn't need to go much deeper than those two guys as primary ball handler and i'm excited for robinson to be able to sort of work behind those two and get a feel for the system and just the speed of college basketball yeah there's so much experience on this team where the young guys maybe aren't going to be dependent on a lot this year, which is a good thing. And we we saw those Conzo Martin teams of old where the freshmen needed to come in and like immediately be, you know, the best player on the team because they were the most talented and all that stuff. So high expectations that were not met very often, if ever. Um, and hopefully these freshmen are not going to be held to that kind of expectation in year one. But uh, I think Trent Pierce especially is a guy that, you know, he's got Noah Carter in front of him in a, in a position that he's probably going to be best suited for at kind of the stretch four. But, you know, obviously Noah Carter will be gone after this season, so maybe Trent Pierce is a guy that you're kind of building around um, next year. Yeah, and with Trent Pierce, he in particular just reminds me of the tall, long-armed wings from Florida State. And... I can honestly, especially with some of the buzz from scouts and uh, people that color cover college basketball, um, he seems like the type of guy who gets some play as a freshman, shines a few times, and then as a sophomore just goes crazy and then goes to the NBA. Like I feel like his ceiling is contributor as a freshman, all-conference type player as a sophomore, and goes to the nba yeah yeah i think he's got that in his his range of outcomes for sure and well where did they go this summer on like a jamaica jamaica Mm -hmm. i mean he was like leading the team in points on in those those exhibition games so i don't know i think you might be right we might be seeing him putting up a lot of shots this year and his floor is like 
you know, a three or four year player who's just like incredibly solid for multiple seasons. So I just feel like uh, they have a, a really good get in Trent Pierce. I'm excited to see him play. Moving on to just the one sophomore, we have Aiden Shaw returning. Uh, he's listed at 6'8". He played about 10 minutes per game last year, had a season-high seven points in the three-point win over Arkansas. Um, wasn't asked to do a whole lot. Obviously, we know about his athleticism. Um, had a couple big blocked shots in some clutch moments. Um, he feels like the type of guy that could make a jump into his sophomore season. But at the same time, how well does his just insane athleticism, if he doesn't have much of a three-point shot, if he's not super crafty around the basket, like how many minutes can you afford to give a guy who's like sort of a slasher slash shot blocking specialist who's just super athletic? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a room. There's definitely room for him, but I feel like he's going to need to show a little bit more offensively when you have guys who like Trent Pierce behind him who are going to be gunning for some minutes at the forward spot. For sure, that's basically exactly what I was going to say about him. Is he's going to have to expand his offensive game to you know to be able to see the minutes he probably wants to see. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he, you're just you're not really relying on him to like pull up and shoot or but probably not create his own shot either he's Mm -hmm. probably not like slashing to the rim very often so yeah how does how does he fit offensively and um, what is he going to do to kind of take that step this year because yeah we we've seen the videos we saw the plays last year yeah he's athletically he's very gifted and at dunk in the kansas game yes (laughs) came came in the clutch for sure in some big moments with some big plays but are going to need to see a little bit more consistency in, in other areas yeah, and I obviously he's gained some weight, gained a lot of muscle, but I just don't quite see him bullying guys around on the block in the SEC this year. But still excited for what he can become. Again, we're like so used to just needing underclassmen to come in and run the show and like play meaningful minutes and start most games that it's it's a luxury to have a guy like Aiden Shaw who you don't have to rely on as much until he's a little bit more polished. Uh, we've got three juniors on this squad. We've got Caleb Brown, Kurt Lewis, and Tamar Bates. And, uh, which of those three guys jump out at you? You want to talk about a little bit? Yeah, I think Tamar Bates was a guy out of high school. I really wanted Missouri to land, mm-hmm. and obviously that was pre-Dennis Gates, so maybe it was just meant to be that it, he took this route mm-hmm. and uh, came to Missouri a couple of years later. Um, but you know, I really think he is going to see a lot of playing time. Um, I don't know, you know, in a similar way about Aiden Shaw, well, maybe not in a similar way, but he probably isn't as much of an, uh, as an offensive threat as some of these other guys that are going to play the similar position, but he is an excellent defender. And for that very reason alone, he's going to have to be out there a lot. Yes, I agree. Uh, he played in 67 games over two seasons with Indiana. Uh, originally from Kansas City, Kansas, it was a big recruiting miss for Conzo when that when that happened. Uh, we were pretty disappointed. What well, he originally committed to Texas, Texas. right? Yeah, yeah. bro, <laughs> just had to bring up Texas right now. <laughs> forget, forget I said anything. Uh, he averaged six points per game in twenty minutes per game last year with Indiana. Uh, shot thirty-seven percent from three. So if we can get three and D guard 
play out of him, guard wing play, um, I could see him eating up a lot of minutes for sure. And then um, Kurt Lewis is a transfer from John A. Logan Junior College. He played two seasons at Eastern Kentucky before that. Uh, averaged 10 and 5 in 56 games, uh, 10 points, 5 rebounds in 56 games at Eastern Kentucky. Uh, but then at John A. Logan, he averaged 14 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals, and a block per game. And that uh, John A. Logan team won the Junior College National Championship. And in the semifinals of that tournament, he had 27 points, I think. So he was um, he was balling out in the at the JUCO level and kind of did a little bit of everything for them. I mean, four assists for a guy that you consider to be a, you know, a scorer mostly is pretty impressive. He's listed at 6'5", um, just like Tamar Bates. So I could see those two competing for minutes with maybe Lewis giving you a little bit more of that um, creating a shot for himself and, you know, more of that scoring prowess, whereas Tamar Bates is more of that 3 and D guy. Yeah, it's a little bit of a question mark. You never know what guys are going to be like when they come from JUCO. Um, you know, Sean East came from JUCO, was one of the best JUCO players in the country, and he had definitely had his moments and was was pretty consistent for Missouri last year. Um, I think Kurt Lewis could be that. I don't think he's just not going to come in and, and be the star necessarily like he was uh, at Johnny Logan, obviously. But you know, he's got the measurables, he has the length, and I definitely think he could carve out a little bit of a role. And when you're talking about you know needing you know, maybe five or six guys to kind of chip in and replace some of that scoring production from Kobe Brown and Demoy Hodge. I think Lewis is going to be one of those guys. And then the last junior on the team, Caleb Brown, he returns after putting his name in the transfer portal earlier in the offseason. He's listed as a 6'7 guard, 6'7, 245, uh, averaged eight minutes per game in the 11 games that he played in last year. Got, got a little bit of play early, didn't do much, um, but Coach Gates has been raving about him and said he's the most improved player on their team this offseason or over the summer. Yeah, I mean, he's maybe a little bit of the Swiss Army knife in a way. Like, he really is a, he's a great passer. Yeah. Um, especially for a guy of his size, he's, he's a good ball handler and, you know, can be even maybe bring the ball up um, a little bit, can play some guard and can probably bully some, guy, some guys a little bit, so... Um, yeah, I don't know how much um, development we're talking about here, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see Caleb Brown be able to play some some meaningful minutes. And um, you know, obviously, we know Kobe wasn't a star right away either. And you know, so he was a good high school player. And I guess you know, sometimes it takes guys a couple of years to kind of get into the weight room and you know, experience playing the game at the Division One level. And you never know. Yeah, and I mean, he's just got a unique skill set with his playmaking ability at six seven. Um, I would love to see if I would love to see some packages where he's like posting up some smaller guards and then creating plays uh, for others, or if he could, you know, get a little bit of post play. I could, I don't know, I could see it working. And then moving on to the seniors, we've got a bunch of seniors. I think only two of these guys have any potential eligibility after this season. And that's all always a little bit fuzzy, so maybe nobody does, but I'm pretty sure at least two of these guys have an additional year if needed. At what point do we, like, does the COVID year just run out of the system? I like think we, it's got to be after this season. I think we're getting pretty close to that. Yeah. 
That'll uh, be nice. I mean, I don't know. It's been it's been nice to have the extra year where guys can come back and like really squeeze out as much experience as we can. Yeah. But for the sake of just like knowing where we are with yes. like the how many scholarships are available, the classes yes. and stuff, it's a little bit of a mess. Uh, yeah, but since you brought that up, um, one thing that I've noticed actually with this Mizzou football team that we've been watching all season and now seeing some of these guys get interviewed in at the media days events um the we've just got some grown men on these teams just like very mature very workmanlike in their processes and interviews and um several of these guys that we'll talk about as seniors gave interviews to the media and i was just really impressed with they're just very focused and they know what they're here to do. They're not here to, I mean, even Connor Vanover, we'll talk about it, but he said he thought he was done playing college basketball. He wanted to try to do something professionally. He was done going to class and all that kind of stuff. And I just think that's what we'll miss once this COVID year situation is over with. Yeah, uh, These guys are just very mature and know what it means to be on a good team and work together for a common goal. Yeah, I think that's a pretty impactful and tangible, actually, is just having yeah. experienced players who, you know, just conduct themselves in, in that way and in a way that a winning team would. And I think that goes along a long way. First senior here is a transfer from Campbell University, Jesus Caralero Martin. I'm going to I might go with that's pretty good. JCM. JCM. Yeah, for short. Coach called him Zeus in the interview. That's fine, too. Yeah. Uh, but uh, JCM forward listed at 6'7", originally from Spain, played four seasons at Campbell, started 38 games. Last season, he was injured after five games, only played five games, lost the rest of the season to injury. Um, in those five games, he was shooting 50% from the field and um, had an, a little bit of an uptick in three-point shooting. If that carries over... He's a little bit undersized, but he was playing the five most of the time at Campbell. Had good assist numbers. Only uh, only listed at um, six seven, but and just like I don't know, you get a guy from Campbell. It's kind of like I don't know. Is why are we doing this? Is this guy going to be ready to come play in the SEC? Yeah, and I think he's another guy kind of like Caleb Brown, who just has a little bit of a unique skill set yeah. where you could play matchups in a way that. He could just take advantage, and uh, I think he has a very mature game. He's very crafty, and with the right matchups, I think uh, he could be a problem for some defenses. Yeah, you mentioned he is from Spain. I mean, I feel like his play style is just very European. Like yes. it's very yeah. Uh, he's just very mobile for his size and crafty, good passer. Always he was bringing like, the ball up some. He was yeah. playing a little point forward for Campbell at times. Yeah, yeah, he's a very interesting player, yeah. and. Yeah, I'm honestly one of the most intriguing players as far as like I just have no idea how they're going to use him. Yeah, truly, he could start every game at the five. He could play 12 minutes per game, and we kind of forget about him late in conference season. Yeah. Like the variance there is pretty crazy. Uh, another senior on the list, Mabor Majak, seven foot two center. He is one of two players on the roster who are actually labeled as centers. Everybody else is just a guard or forward. And for that reason, he might get in some games. Exactly. 
originally from South Sudan, came over with Gates from Cleveland State, played a little bit last year in some actually huge spots uh, against Mississippi State and Tennessee. Very much matchup based. Yes, absolutely. But he held his own. Yeah. And yeah, he was basically thrown out there to absorb a couple fouls and grab some rebounds when nobody else could. And Often last year, we saw nobody being able to grab rebounds. Uh, But he is back. And then that brings us to a couple more, a few more transfers. We have John Tanjay, 6'6 guard, listed as a guard. I wasn't sure what they would do with that, but definitely a wing player. Originally from Omaha, Nebraska, played four seasons at Colorado State. Started 33 games for them last year, played 31 minutes per game, averaged 14 points, five rebounds shot 39% from three on five attempts per game. So I feel like this is a guy you are bringing in to give us some offense immediately. And yep. he was an early addition uh, when the transfer portal opened. It was just like, portal's open, boom, John Tanjay is committed to the Tigers. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He's athletic wing for sure. I hope that he can kind of help with the rebounding issue. I don't know if that problem is going away this year, just based on the style that they're probably going to play with. Yeah. Um, so, but maybe, he, you know, he's definitely a big guard that can get in there and, and hopefully help with the rebounding. Uh, he was asked what attracted him to coach Gates in Missouri in the portal. He said, this type of defense is something I want to be a part of. Already put, we got a brand already. Yeah. I love it. Uh, next up, uh, senior transfer, Caleb Grill, a six, three guard originally from Wichita started his career at Iowa state transferred to UNLV, and then followed coach TJ Otzelberger back to Iowa State. Um, Started in 22 games last year, averaged 31 minutes per game, shot 37% from three on six attempts per game. And he had an interesting quote uh, talking about making the decision to come to Missouri. He said the decision was not about basketball. It was about feeling like family which multiple players... Wow, it's very touching. Multiple players said they like the family vibe that Coach Gates and company bring. It's a family vibe, and also I bet I have the green light to shoot 10 threes a game. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yes, uh, just like be insanely aggressive with steals and, yeah, green light all day long. I mean, literally. <clears throat> I just There's so much three-point production that's missing from last yeah. year's team, and Grill's the best shooter on the team. And I'm pretty sure that was the pitch. Like, hey, we're a family atmosphere, but also <laughs> you can launch all game long. <laughs> yeah, I, again, that'll just be one of the coolest things to see early in the non-conference season is like, who's taking all these shots? Yeah. Because we there are shots uh, missing from last year that yeah. need to be made up for. And there's some, there's some fun highlights of him at Iowa State just getting hot. Like, yes. He's just a little bit streaky, and like yeah. he'll just hit like seven threes in a game or something. Yeah. Yeah, I think I saw one where like three possessions in a row, he made a three, just like a little 9-0 run by himself. Yeah. Uh, another transfer that everybody's heard of by now, uh, Connor Vanover, seven foot five center. He played one season at Cal, two at Arkansas, and then one most recently at Oral Roberts. He's actually really good at Oral Roberts. Yes, very good at, at Oral Roberts. Yeah. Uh, Develop his three-point shot a little bit more. He had that a little bit at Arkansas. Played more for Arkansas as a sophomore uh, than didn't play a whole lot as a junior, hence transferring. 
But now he's back in the SEC, this time playing for the good guys. And yeah, he said he did not think he would be returning to college this past offseason. And then he's another one that talked about the family vibe. If anything, he's just great for the memes. Like, <laughs> just a former Arkansas player, like, he's just a unique-looking guy. He's seven five. That's true. You don't see seven five every day. You definitely don't. Coach Gates said um, he was, like, trying to – I don't know if it was a warning or he was trying to give the Mizzou fans a heads up. When Vanover is in the game, he's out there to shoot threes, coach said. So don't be complaining that he's not like down by the basket. <laughs> he said when Vanover is out there, if he's not shooting threes, he's going to be on the bench. Man, that's the kind of thing like that makes me think like Trent Pierce is just going to start because yeah. it's like we don't even have a big man. We don't need one. Yeah. Like we just have five guards. Yeah. Play five out. Yeah. Everybody's launching threes and that's so funny though that he just was like, "Yeah, this guy's tall, but he's not gonna play tall guy yeah. stuff. He's yeah. not gonna. He's gonna do tall guy stuff. Yeah, he's, he's gonna. Do we all just shoot threes. The here. tall guy thing he's gonna do is shoot the ball where nobody can even. <laughs> Nobody's think about shot. contesting it. <laughs> I mean, that's what he did at Arkansas a little bit. I remember him yeah. hitting a few threes against us one yeah. game. And if he's gonna if he's gonna hit it, there's literally nothing you can do because he just shoots over you. Yeah, I'll take it. And if, some, and if he misses, no one's rebounding. True. Just get They're back. Running. <laughs> All right. So then that brings us to the last three guys here. In my opinion, the heart and soul of this Mizzou basketball team for this coming season. And it starts off with Nick Honor. 5'10 guard. Started his career at Fordham. Played two seasons at Clemson. And was a vital part of last year's successful uh, Missouri run to the NCAA tournament. Uh, excited for him to be back. He had some big shots and big moments. Seemed like he was just always making the right play. He was never a guy that you were like, oh, if, if Nick Honor had just played a little bit better, we would have won that game. It just never happened, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we said it numerous times last year, but some of the, again, going back to the pre-Dennis Gates era, some of those Conzo teams needed a Nick Honor so badly on their team. Just somebody that is not doesn't need to come in and be the star, can give you big plays, but doesn't have to, just is primarily there to make, control the game, make good decisions, get the, the playmakers the ball. And, man, I really see him playing like 38 minutes a game. Are you saying some of those Conzo teams needed a, a point guard? That is what I was trying to say. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but no, you're exactly right. Uh, it's like a bunch of six, seven dudes who can't shoot. Yeah. I feel like every year I think about like guys who I would just, if I could just slot them into their position for the next 10 years, I would take Nick Honor, the starting point guard for the Missouri Tigers. I feel like he's the type of college point guard that you put the right pieces around him. You don't need him to do anything crazy. And your team's going to be successful. Yeah. Um, another guard, this time 6'3", senior Sean East. He had an interesting path to Mizzou. Started out at UMass, then Bradley, then John A. Logan Junior College. Then last year uh, played 23 minutes per game last year, despite only starting once. And that's kind of a storyline that's on my mind heading into the season is I could kind of see them being like, okay, Sean, you're our sixth man. Um, we don't necessarily need to start the game with two point guards out there. Mm -hmm. But they ran Honor and East on the floor together plenty. 
uh, last season, which I, I kind of love two point guards out there at the same time, um, just generally, but I don't know. I, that'll be an interesting storyline is, will he be the sixth man and do kind of the same type of thing he did last year? Or do they start two point guards most games? Yeah, he was a little bit inconsistent as far as like scoring production. He was very stable as far as just minutes played. Um, some games he would really show up and you know the score and score a lot, and then other games he really didn't as much. So, um, yeah, I I think uh, now that you mentioned that, really, I, I I would probably that'd be my guess is that he's six man still plays twenty five thirty minutes a game um, is obviously an incredibly important role, but maybe doesn't start. Not that it really matters that much if you're playing. You're probably still playing more than starter minutes almost. Exactly. At that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, I can't help but think, if I think of Sean East, I can't help but think of a few frustrating times last year where we were, like, right there in a close conference game. And, like, this seems, like, oddly specific, but I just very much remember him driving to the basket getting there and then not really knowing what to do and yes, just like picking up his dribble under the basket. Yes. That happened a few times. And there's just a few little things like that where you're like, ah, yeah, see he, uh, I don't know. He, he just needed some time to get used to sec basketball. I feel like he does have kind of that like high arching shot off the mm. backboard that he does sometimes. Yes. It's kind of interesting. Like he yeah. needed to do that a few more times. Yeah. Cause yeah, there before was a he point got where so far in. Yes. Yes. Obviously at this point, if we're, if this is the thing that we, are associating with him yes it was happening pretty frequently i think where yeah. it was like all right you gotta pass sooner or shoot it yeah but don't get stuck down there yeah obviously that's a incredibly correctable thing though yeah that we if he can uh get over that hump and uh contribute more i think we'll be in good shape and then last i i kind of feel like this guy is the one that we're going to be relying on to eat up a lot of those minutes and points uh, from the departures, but we have senior forward Noah Carter listed at 6'6", 235, played three seasons at Northern Iowa, started 20 games last year for Mizzou, shot 49% from the floor, 32% from three, and he is the highest scoring returning player Yeah, uh, that was on the Mizzou's roster last year. Yeah, I think I 100% agree. I think Noah Carter's probably the most important player on the team this year, and I think he could take the Kobe Brown jump potentially. I don't know about being like a first-round NBA draft pick or something, but I think somebody that can average 17, 18 a game, but he's going to have to be more efficient. He's going to have to shoot better than 32% from three, but he is going to shoot a lot, and he's going to have to improve on defense because I can remember him being a pretty massive liability at times and if you are a liability on defense there i mean there are guys that are will they will put in there instead of you even if you're you know bringing something to the table offensively so i think he's gonna have to figure that out to be able to kind of get up to that 35 minute a game mark or something like that but i think he can do it yeah yeah no i look at him as a guy who you gotta hope coming back for a senior season um no more eligibility left you didn't play as much as maybe you would have last year because you had Kobe Brown in front of you. You got to be looking at that as a huge opportunity to do what he did last year. Um, Sean East, another guy, only only shot twenty two percent from three last year. Got to got to get those numbers up a bit. So if I'm looking at like starting five plus 
three major contributors. It's easy to put Nick Honor at the one spot. Um, I'm going to put Sean East at the six spot as a six man, first guy off the bench. And then there's just so many different ways they could do this. Like you could go, you could pretty easily go with uh, Trent Pierce at the four. Or you could go Trent Pierce at the five, Noah Carter at the four, Tanjay at the three, Caleb Grill or Tamar Bates at the two. You got a pretty good, pretty explosive lineup there offensively. You want to hear my starting lineup? Let's hear it. Okay. Nick Honor, Caleb Grill, Tamar Bates, Noah Carter, and starting at the five, not really the five, but just starting as the mm-hmm. fifth player, Trent Pierce. He would he would jump center in that he situation. Would. He yeah. absolutely would. Um, there's really nothing wrong with that. So then you'd have East coming off the bench. You'd have Tanjay coming off the bench. I don't. That's one. I feel like maybe he starts over Bates yeah. at the three. You could definitely potentially like swap those for sure. Um, I I really do like East as your sixth man. Sneaky potential starter at the five, Jordan Butler. I agree with you there. Uh, honestly, though, like between Butler, JCM, Vanover, like you like Zeus though, yeah, yeah. JCM. I, I'm just saying we got options there. We, we got, got options. options at the five. Um, and then Kurt Lewis is is a little bit of a wild card where he absolutely could be a scoring threat who grabs one of those starting five spots but i mean the the starting five that you've given us i'm gonna swap tanjay in for Bates, and that gives us five seniors or sorry four seniors with just incredible uh amount of um what's it called when you've done it before experience and then the freshman pierce i like that Give me the four seniors plus the freshman. Okay, so we just talked about 15 players. Give me four guys who just probably won't really play much this year. Oh, uh, That's almost harder to do somehow. Anthony Robinson. Uh, Majak. Caleb Brown. How many do you want? One more. Hmm. Vanover? That's what I was thinking. Yeah. But, I mean, if that's the bottom, if that's like the end of your bench, that's pretty great. Yeah. And Coach Gates, of course, was talking up all the walk-ons as well. There's like, um, I, I, uh, I keep wanting to call him, I got to find his name, because I swear he's a reincarnation of another Mizzou player uh, from years past. We have a freshman walk-on named Danny Stevens. And I keep wanting to think of him as, now I can't think of his first name, Feldman. I literally was about to say Danny Feldman. Danny Feldman. Feldman. Just a random walk-on <laughs> from like I 10 literally years was thinking ago. Danny Feldman, and then I was like, I don't even know if he played for Mizzou. I just like know who that is. I just I can think of his face. Look, that's look, Danny Stevens. When I saw that, I was like, wait a second, that's Danny Feldman, <laughs> reincarnated. Yes. 
That is, I wish I would have said Danny Feldman, but if that was not who you were thinking of, it just would have sounded like the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> so Danny Feldman's there. You okay. Know? He's good. He's back. He's good, people say. All right. So I'm very excited for this team. Very excited to see how the lineups shake up. Uh, early on in the season, there's a plethora of cupcakes on the schedule. So we'll get to see everybody put up some numbers, hopefully. And um, next week, we will look at that schedule and see how we're feeling. See if we're looking at another NCAA tournament team or if this is a little bit of a reset year or something in between. So stay tuned next week. We'll tell you exactly how good this team is going to be. And with that, we can get back to football. Did you know it's football season? Yeah. Kyle, Mizzou being good at football, it's uh, fun. It just it it lights it's, it lights up my life. It's incredible. It gives us life. I've watched the I've watched so many highlight videos in the last week. I've watched the South Carolina highlights ten times. I've watched <laughs> the Kentucky highlights a few more times. I was watching highlights from two thousand eight, just because that yeah YouTube was feeding it to me and I was just eating it all yeah. I've watched too many press conferences of other SEC coaches. I've been doing that too. YouTube thinks that's what I want to see, and it's right. And (laughs) I love hearing other coaches talk about Mizzou. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, what makes college football, every game is so important because there's so few of them, and that's why it makes those losses so heartbreaking sometimes. But I feel like that's what makes the good times even better. It's just because, like, you know, at the rate that we've been going, and hopefully this is, you know, the last 10 years, I pray to God, is not the next how the next 10 years will go. But, I mean, the last time we have to look back at, that, you know, a time we've done something like this is a literal decade ago. And so these kind of seasons just don't come around, very, you know, very often. And I'm hoping that trend changes here in the future. But even good programs don't churn out seven and one starts every year. Yeah, and um, just being able to say we've beaten South Carolina five years five years in a row, and just stuff like that. Yeah, you know every single game of these series that you know have have a little bit of history now, mm-hmm. and obviously we'll have a lot more history in the future. Every game in every series is so important, and we just got to really enjoy it when we can. Final score on this one, what was it? Thirty four twelve. Yeah. Mm. And I would argue that one of one of South Carolina's best plays in the entire game was deferring <laughs> when they won the toss. And that's just like an automatic three and out for That's true. That was like, oh, here we go. Yeah. So oh, that's all you have automatic. to do. Defer. It, it, literally, that was one of their best plays of the game was the coin toss. Because <laughs> Missouri goes three and out. But then on the second Mizzou possession, we get that deep shot to Luther Burden. He makes a NFL level catch to go up and get that between two defenders and a really nicely thrown ball by Brady Cook. We need a case study on the three and outs though. Like somebody, <laughs> somebody that get on that. somebody that's like been on the football team or something like with Coach Drinkwitz, like is there some kind of script that you guys just don't want to do or like is there some kind of script in that first drive that just doesn't work every time they're like we do not like these plays let's just go like, three and out get us to the second drive up. Yeah. yeah get us to the second drive and then we'll actually play yeah. then we'll then we'll do some stuff but 
This first drive, yeah, we just got to warm up the punter a little bit. Uh, picture perfect first half. I mean, we get the big play to burden. Um, yeah. We don't allow South Carolina to do anything on offense. They miss a field goal, which early, which could have changed the momentum a little bit. Yeah. But and they make a field goal late. But Missouri takes a twenty-four to three lead into halftime. Just it's just everything good. Right. Yeah. It really felt like. And we it, we just felt like we were so much better than yeah. South Carolina in that first half, and in the second half it didn't feel like that. But I'm pretty sure they just put it in cruise control. Yeah. Um. But that first half was incredible. Um. Cody Schrader running all over him, doing whatever he wants. Yeah. Like five to ten yards a carry. Yeah. And uh, again, that slowed down a little bit in the second half, but the first half. It was just picture perfect. Again, 24 points. Uh, we've talked about it before. They scored 25 in the first half against LSU, which was a new Coach Drinkwitz SEC record for points and a half, and it was previously 24 against LSU. So uh, right up there with some of the best halves of football under Coach Drink. Yeah, they said their little game motto or whatever was Rattle Rattler. Rattle Rattler. I would say mission accomplished. Absolutely. Rattler's a good quarterback. Mm -hmm. He did not look like a good quarterback uh, against Missouri. No, and that's interesting. Um, So they get into the second half, and South Carolina gets two field goals. Um, Missouri fumbles the snap on the punt and just felt the second half just started to feel off a little bit. You know, we're punting too much, uh, not sustaining drives. South Carolina's putting some points on the board. Mevis does hit a 53-yard field goal, but it all came down to what you're saying, getting after Spencer Rattler and not letting him get them back in this game. Yeah. And I think five sacks on the game for Missouri's defense. And I was listening to um, Shane Beamer talk about after the game, he said, or it may have been like later in the week, but he was talking about those sacks, like one of them clearly on the offensive line. One of them clearly on a running back who missed a blitz pickup. One of them clearly on Spencer Rattler for, you know, not taking the check down when he should have or something like that. So the fact that you do, I feel like you do have to keep in mind a little bit that like the South Carolina offense is struggling a little bit. Uh, And I don't, well, tell me what you think. I feel like I'm not wanting to get too high on the Missouri defense not giving up a touchdown, getting five sacks, yeah, getting an interception. I'm trying to not get too you. high there and just think, also, South Carolina's offense is not that great. Missouri took advantage of of the opportunity, of of the the mismatch, the injuries. South Carolina is a little bit of a shell of itself, honestly, and what they were. The injuries, yeah. At the beginning definitely. of the season. like Their offensive line, they barely have enough offensive linemen to field a team in practice, like a mm-hmm. second team in practice. Uh, no juice wells. Uh, Xavier Leggett got Leggett hurt in this got one. Hurt. And so I, I am not going to lie. When it was like twenty four to zero or whatever it was, like I was approaching. I'm feeling bad for them territory, which yeah. is ridiculous. But <laughs> that's how one sided that half was. Yeah. And it was like, geez, they yeah. are a mess right yes. now. Like there was no chance in the world that South Carolina was ever coming back in this game. They just. They're totally spent. 
Yeah. And so what was your question? <laughs> uh, just like uh, weighing the uh, South Carolina's bad versus Missouri's defense is good. Sure. Just, yeah. And, and I, going back to the Kentucky game even, obviously a big story in that game was Kentucky just imploding a little bit in all sure. those penalties yeah. that they had. That certainly has to have something to do with the opponent you're playing, I would think. Um, I don't know, man. Rattler's been really good at mm-hmm. home. He's been really bad on the road. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. I, I would just have to say South Carolina is, they're really struggling. They're in a really tough spot, but and, but Missouri's playing well. They took advantage of it. Their offense looked a lot better against Florida. Scored yeah, right. You know, scored enough to win that game, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I feel a little embarrassed actually, and I don't even know why I'm bringing this up because it's embarrassing. But I predicted to South Carolina to really be able to score. Yeah, last week when we talked about them, I think I predicted that they would score 37 points or mm-hmm. something like that. Obviously, in a loss, but I've I definitely thought this was going to be a little bit more of a shootout than it ended up being. Yeah, but we'll take it. Oh, well, of course. And, uh, yeah, I mean, how often is your defense not giving up a touchdown in an SEC game? Right, yeah. Just, yeah, they're running back average, like, two yards a carry. Like, there's just absolutely nothing was happening. There was no, absolutely no threat whatsoever. And there was an interesting moment that I wanted to ask you about because uh, South Carolina was down, the score is 27-9. South Carolina, second half, South Carolina drives down, has first and goal at the Mizzou 5. Just great stand by Mizzou's defense uh incomplete pass um maybe two incomplete passes but then they throw it to the flat which we've seen go for a touchdown and we tackle them short um and that brings up fourth down fourth and goal from like the three yard line they kicked a field goal to make it 27 12 oh yeah you know what that's that's really the thing is like I predicted him to score 37 points because I didn't think Shane Beamer was going to come out and play bunker mentality against I us. I mean, that is the most un-Beamer ball thing I've ever heard of. Beamer ball is just... is just. They kick that they kick that field goal. If they score a touchdown there and get the two-point conversion, you're down 10. 27-17. Yeah. I don't know. I'd be very frustrated by that call to kick it there. Right. Yeah, they uh, made some very, very conservative and questionable decisions. Um, but he still blamed everybody in the post game. The post game, including uh, uh, Missouri's facilities. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. Um, that was going around Twitter. This clip of him talking about where he was giving the press conference. It was honestly a hilarious clip because. The, the Mizzou band is just blaring. He's having to, like, speak up over the band, like, blaring Mizzou's fight song, fight song yeah. after he just lost, and he's having to, like, speak up after to answer just, questions about his loss. After he just lost by five touchdowns, and all he, his only response was to kick field goals. Yeah. And honestly, you talk about feeling bad. You were feeling bad in the first half, and you shouldn't have been. I felt bad for the guy in that. That no. he looked, he looked so broken in that post game <laughs> press conference. I was like, wanted yeah. to be like, come on, you know, it'll be okay. It's okay, man. You'll get paid several million yes. dollars to go away. Yes, you'll tarnish the the Beamer name a little bit, but you'll be rich. It's fine. Well, Kyle, there was actually a big, um, a big result of this game and Mizzou going seven and one. Is the fact that. In the case of 46-year-old Shane Beamer, 
You are the father. Eli Drinkwitz, you are the father. <laughs> that was incredible. That was confirmed in that game. And uh, the daddy drink memes were, were circling after the game. Yes, uh, we had a meme prepared. <laughs> and we wanted, a, we wanted a win. We're fans of Missouri. We wanted to win. But there was like an extra half percentage of how badly we wanted to win just to be able to post that meme. So thank you, Producer Cameron. Uh, yeah. A meme of uh, a picture of Coach Drinkwitz holding his son <laughs> with a little <laughs> cast on his foot. Holding his, his baby boy. His baby boy, his baby boy Coach Shane. Beamer. Yeah. And, uh, and it, yeah. it, it made the rounds. Excellent Photoshop work by Producer Cameron there. I'm pretty sure it ended up on... Some pretty big podcast. Yes. <laughs> I can't remember the name of it, that SEC uh, show. SEC Mike on Twitter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, talking about press conferences, though, uh, Coach Drink had a, had a nice press conference, and they talked to Christian Williams and Cody Schrader. And they, again, uh, talked about it when we were talking about basketball players, but some of these older guys who have been around the block just being locked in on the mindset of we have not shown what we're capable of yet. Coach Drink said that. Uh, a reporter asked Christian Williams, how close was this to your guys' best stuff? And he said, not even close. They asked Cody Schrader. He said, not even close. And um, I think I have a chance to uh, test that out here exactly. in, a, in a week. Exactly. Um, and, and I'll be honest, I was a little bit like too down on the second half, I think, as I was watching it. It was like, come on offense like what's going on here good why can't we put two good halves together yeah but, it was about, i was like should i take a nap or yeah. <laughs> like i think they got this thing under control yeah there and there was one moment where it was like okay if south carolina is going to do anything it's got to be right now and this was uh, maybe it was when they kicked the field goal but um they looked like they were trying to put a drive together rattler hadn't played too terribly gotten sacked but he was doing okay and it was like, okay, are they going to do something right now? And he throws an interception. And that just basically iced it. And, uh, yeah, Missouri's 7-1. and 7-1. and one. Yep. We get the bye week at a perfect time. We can gear up for Georgia. After the bye week, Missouri plays number one Georgia. Assuming they're number one. Assuming they take care of business this week against Florida. That game is going to be nuts. <sighs> 2.30 on CBS. It's going to be incredible. One of the biggest games I can remember in a while. Uh, People were saying biggest game since the last time we were in the SEC championship game. You can make an argument. Because, yeah, I mean, y you beat Georgia. I mean, you don't have... Right now, Missouri con controls their own destiny. We're going to get into SEC East talk a little bit here. It's bye week. Uh. The SEC East standings, number one, Georgia, 4-0. They play Florida at home. Number 16, Missouri Tigers, 3-1, lost to LSU. Florida, 3-1, lost to Kentucky, 33-14, plays Georgia. Number 21, Tennessee, is 2-2 two two in conference play, lost to Florida, and lost to Alabama. Missouri's in the driver's seat. Yeah. If Missouri somehow wins out, they win the, S the, the SEC East. They go to Atlanta. 
in that's the all last, you have to do. In the last year that these divisions will ever exist. All you have to do is win four games. They will end as the champions of the SEC East. We've already won three games. Just got to win four more <laughs> conference <laughs> games. Ooh, enormous opportunity. Uh, Missouri clinched the SEC East with a win over Arkansas one other time. I'd love to see that happen again. Uh, we're not going to talk too much about Georgia just yet. We guess we're going to save that for next week. Um, just reflecting a little bit more on Missouri's season so far, uh, Brady Cook sitting here with uh, over 2,000 passing yards, 20 total touchdowns, three interceptions, completing 70% of his passes. So far, everything we ever could have hoped for. Uh, Cody Schrader has run the ball 140 times for over 800 yards and nine touchdowns. we got to say just real quick what's going on with Schrader's the only running back getting a touch Yeah, yeah in the South like, Carolina game. Yeah, I basically was thinking that there's no way, I mean, I don't know about no way, but it's unlikely that we're going to be able to continue playing Cody Schrader 100% of the snaps. Like, they're human beings. Yeah. And he's and already been banged up. He's already been a little bit banged up. We're talking about the potential for injuries, the potential for just kind of wearing down. Like yep. sometimes in the football season, even some of the best players in the country, uh, in college or in NFL, you kind of start to see those guys just wear down. They're not as effective by the end of the year if they're getting a lot of snaps. And I don't want to see that happen to Cody Schrader. In the second half of this game, there's just no reason that Cody Schrader should take every snap against yeah. South Carolina in the second half when you're winning by however many points, and it, they're completely incapable of coming back on you. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Uh, Pete's legs should be fresh Yeah, moving he, forward. Yeah, he got, he's gotten like three carries in the last three games or something. Schrader said in the post-game press conference that he's been spending 12 hours a day in the football facilities getting treatment for his, like, severely bruised thigh basically Jeez. yeah i mean that seems like a pretty just the perfect opportunity to be like all right this game is completely like taken care of perfect opportunity to get jamal roberts some run get nate pete in there just i mean or just more importantly give cody schrader a little bit of a break yeah and Drinkwood said that the game plan going into this game was to get roberts involved and that did not happen yeah, that was like an actual thing they said on the on like the broadcast was Jamal Roberts, who is the second string running back today, backing up Cody Trader. Oh, just kidding. He doesn't have a backup. Yeah, no backups here. Um, Luther Burden, 61 catches on the season, 905 yards, six touchdowns. Um, oh, and I have some rankings here for you as well. Brady Cook, seventh nationally, second in the SEC in passing yards. Cody Schrader, ninth nationally, first in the SEC in rushing yards. And like 40 more attempts than anyone else, but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, Luther Burton, second nationally and second in the SEC in receiving yards. Malik Neighbors takes the top spot on both of those. Uh, but Burton, 61 catches, 900 yards, six touchdowns. Weiss, 36, 440, and five touchdowns for him. And Mookie Cooper just a very solid third wide receiver here. 28 catches, 359 yards, but no touchdowns. I want to see It'll happen. I want to see Mookie Cooper get in the end zone. Right. Um yeah, it was good to see Luther Burden kind of bounce back from a quiet game against Kentucky. Uh yeah, Mookie, I maybe 
led the team in receptions against South Carolina. Um, and what's interesting is I feel like when we first landed Mookie and maybe that first season, I think a lot of people thought of him as kind of like the burner, like deep threat guy. Like you're just, you're going to see him just blow past a, a defender for a deep touchdown. And I you know think that's something he can do, but that's not at all how they're really using him this year. He's almost kind of playing like uh, almost like the Barrett Bannister role a little mm-hmm. bit, kind of the shorter stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's doing really, really well with it. Kind of ma- making some tough contested catches and um, getting out in space a little bit. And making uh, guys miss. Yeah. Uh, that was something, you know, last year it kind of felt like the way it goes is Mookie Cooper catches the ball and then just immediately gets destroyed by the defender. <laughs> yeah. Like first defender that touches him just destroys him. Yeah. He obviously understands his ability in space and he's kind of doing that Tyreek Hill thing where he catches the ball, immediately turns around and kind of just like assesses where the defender is. Like yeah. it's kind of weird. Like he just almost does this little 180 pivot and is able to kind of just move in any direction. Makes a little bit of room for himself. From where he catches the ball. Yeah, he almost like steps it back a little bit. Yeah. But he's been making the first guy miss consistently. He did it several times in the South Carolina game. And uh, yeah, to see him sort of taking that next step, um, that's just, and he'll he'll be back next year. So, yeah. Um, I feel like this team is like, in the past, we've had some elite defenses. We've had some really good offenses. And it's like, can you just have both of these be even just decent at the mm-hmm. same time? Mm-hmm. Like that 2015 team, if the offense is even average, yeah, like we're probably one of the best teams in the SEC. Yeah, we win 10 games. This team to me is just a perfect example of like, I don't know that the offense is elite. I don't know that the defense is elite. They're both really, really good. And obviously, like, there's just, it's so balanced. Mm-hmm. It's, um, there's really no weak parts of the team. And I don't know. It's, I feel like that, that's what you probably want to shoot for every year and not having any, like, glaring deficiencies and just being good everywhere. And it's worked out really well. Yeah. And in the South Carolina game, in the second half, we've, we've had our complaints, um, a little bit with the offense and how they were using Schrader and all this, but, you know, the coaching staff afterwards was just talking about like, okay, South Carolina went into this defense that was just the ultimate bend but don't break, and they were just begging Missouri to run the ball, and Missouri saw, hey, we can be successful enough at this to just not have to do much else in the second half to win this game. And when I was a little bit worried, I think Missouri was losing the second half six to three nine to three but um even with that lackluster second half missouri won the half uh schrader got a touchdown late and really put the game away there was no need to worry anymore but i just had to kind of remind myself like no missouri won both halves yeah uh despite different strategy exactly yeah it's very interesting um and one of these days this strategy could definitely bite you in the butt but to be able to have a coach who's kind of looking at the bigger picture even within within a single game and saying we're done putting stuff on tape we're done getting guys hurt we're just gonna run the ball we're gonna do whatever to just shorten this game and get out of mm-hmm. here against a team that we are a lot better than at least in this moment mm-hmm. and we've seen that a few times this year yeah playing check not checkers i always do that playing chess not, not checkers, checkers yes. yeah not specifically not checkers <laughs> i always get i mix up my Board games. My board games, you know. Yeah, I get Playing Risk, not Monopoly. 
Um, yeah, so I think we're going to talk, let's get into the pick because we're going to have a little bit to say about this Georgia-Florida matchup and the ramifications and what we want to see there. So I say, without further ado, let's pick some games. Uh, Producer Cameron, how did we do last week? I already know I probably did bad. Okie dokie. My little hot, 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 hot. It sounds you perfect. You look great. Th- oh, thank you. I, I'm wearing my... my Gold Rush. I'm sure everyone team. wishes they could see it. <laughs> sure. Um, I wish that they, I'm sure everyone wishes there was a, a producer camp camp. <laughs> um, last week, week eight, three points for Cameron, three points for Kyle, four for me, and four for the guest pickers. Well done. Just well every done, Ryan. Week, every week, just, you know. Ryan said he was a great picker, and he backed that up. Mm-hmm. That's true. That brings our season totals to... Cameron has 46, Kyle has 48, the guest pickers have 49, and I have 51. Oh. Wow. What a it's jerk. Still technically anybody's ballgame here. He's over there running the show and winning. Seriously. <laughs> what? He's figured something out. Okay. He's got a, he's got a formula. Let's I stopped picking Nebraska. Flip the script. That actually yeah. <laughs> <laughs> made a big difference. <laughs> All right. Uh, week nine, our first game is South Carolina. At Texas A&M, Texas A&M is a 14-and-a-half-point favorite. Our guest picker is Brian. I was going to ask you that. I, I Welcome always, in, Brian. I always say that after I That's announce right. the first game. Welcome in, Brian. Good luck to you. Uh, what, are, what is this game again? <laughs> South Carolina <laughs> at Texas A&M. Texas A&M is a 14-and-a-half-point favorite. Yeah, give me A&M. South Carolina is broken. I'll, I'll go take last. A&M. Oh, what did Brian Brian say? takes A&M. No I'll, way. I'll take AM. I'll take AM. All, right. All right. You have like that look in your eyes. I, I got to stay. I got to stay ready. I got to stay ready. Next up is number one, Georgia at Florida. Georgia is a 14 and a half point favorite. What do we want to happen here? We want Georgia to just win. And but maybe it's sloppy. I don't know. Yeah, I don't really. I mean, I guess you just want Georgia to win. Win and a little bit of a struggle. I mean, Missouri's gonna have to beat Georgia no matter what. Most likely. If Georgia already had a loss to like yes Alabama or something, of course. Then I'd be. Then do they, it's like do they who they who are the two teams they play from the West? Does anybody know? I'll see if I can find it. I feel like it's like Auburn and somebody that's they're not that they will beat. I mean, they do have like a notoriously easy schedule this year. They do. Um, I don't know. I think I want my head narrative to be that Georgia peaked at the Kentucky game when they, you know, put it all together for the first time. That they, win was very impressive at the yes. time, but then and then Missouri basically did the same thing. Okay, valid. Mm. Uh, Georgia already beat Auburn this year only by seven. Wow. And they play Ole Miss later in the season. Okay. So, I mean, that's a game I think they could lose. Yeah. So maybe we do want them to have another loss. I think. But even if they have two losses and Missouri has two, they still win the tiebreaker. So. True, true. Mm. Give me Georgia. Yeah, I'll take Georgia. Georgia all around. I mean, it would just be way cooler when we march in there and beat the number one team. I agree. Mm. I agree. Yep. Next up is Mississippi State. At Auburn, Auburn is a six and a half point favorite. 
Mississippi State coming off the big win. Oh yeah, that was just a the four point four point win that felt like thirty five point win. That, that game was seven to three. Seven to three at halftime and at the end. <laughs> I watched. I watched the second half. It was awful of the second half. So bad. Arkansas, thank you. you just keep being bad. Uh, you're doing great. Um, who's Mississippi State playing? Auburn. Two at, bad teams. At Auburn. Uh, give me Auburn. I'll take Auburn. You can go back to the well. Brian takes Mississippi State. Okay, oh, okay. And so do I. Ooh. Oh, that's what I like to hear. Sticking with Mike they're, Wright. They're going to win. They will now. Yeah. <laughs> it's been decided. Uh, Predestination. Uh, number 21, Tennessee at Kentucky. Tennessee is a four-point favorite. Um, I'll just say, give me Kentucky. Mm. You don't want to give us any... I got nothing. <laughs> Brian takes Tennessee. I'll take Kentucky. Oh, man. This is at Kentucky? Yeah. Jeez. I'll go Kentucky. Uh, I, I literally <laughs> meant to say Tennessee, and I said uh, Kentucky. Give me Tennessee. Ooh. Doesn't feel great. Doesn't feel great. Kentucky's not going to lose three in a row. Oh, they will. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> Be so. <laughs> Vanderbilt at number 12, Ole Miss. Ole Miss is a 24 and a half point favorite. I didn't even hear who they're playing. I'll take Ole Miss. I'll take Ole Miss. They're playing Vanderbilt. Everybody's on Ole Miss. I just heard the line. <laughs> You're like, right. oh, they must be playing Akron. Last and wow, just uh, catching strays. <laughs> Last and certainly least. Purdue at Nebraska. Nebraska is a two and a half point favorite. Uh, you got to your lofty perch there by picking against Nebraska. Yeah, give me Purdue. Oh. Uh, Am I going to pick Nebraska to win a football game? I'll do it if nobody else has. Uh, Brian picks Nebraska. I'll take Purdue. Uh, give me Purdue. Ooh. Wow. I can I I just can't, I can't do it. I'm, I'm changing sorry. to Nebraska. Okay. All right. Officially, lock it, it in. I can't pick. I can't pick Nebraska. Me neither. See, I, uh, yeah. Either way, I'll be happy. Well, see. That's hedging. That that doesn't make me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you uh, on the gridiron. See you on the gridiron. Good luck to everybody there. Enjoy the bye week. And let me get my names here. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $10 level and above. Britt Treese, Brian Smith, Ryan Demore, Tristan, Ben Smith, Parker, Daddy JD, Tim Keens, Tyler Harsel, Brandon Graffalo, Brandon Hanks, Matthew Tilly, Luis Hernandez, and producer cam fan. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. We love you very much. You can find this podcast on Spotify. And Apple Podcasts. We're on Twitter at Mizzou Sports Pod, and you can email us at Missouri Sports Pod at gmail.com. Thank you, Cooper. I am a Cooper fan. You can find our t shirts and stickers on our line shop, Missouri Sports Thank you for listening. We will see you next week. Eli Drinkwitz, you are the father. After a bye.